Hey, welcome, Redemption. Hey, it's good to see you all. Uh, if it's your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, you were joining us, and just at the tail ends of our, our series that we titled Building a Stronger Church, uh, where we've been looking at the last eight years of our existence and history and uh, just celebrating what God has done and then looking forward to what God is doing and what God would do um, in the midst of the congregation here. Alongside, we've been having a capital campaign of which we're raising a million dollars for the property of which we purchased here to renovate as well as strategic uh, um, ownership and complete ownership, and uh, we're excited about that. And so today, our topic will be reliance. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to grab it and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 42. So turn to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, and then hold your spot there. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of the Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we give you um, so that you can uh, own a copy of God's Word for yourself. Again, Acts chapter 2, and then hold your spot there. I have a few announcements um, um, before we get going. Um, first is this upcoming Thursday. So Thursday, we are going to have um, a 24-hour fast as a church um, here in Redemption Tempe. Uh, what that means is from 6.30 p.m. Thursday night to 6.30 p.m. Friday night, uh, we are going to fast. And on 6.30 p.m. Friday, which is March 1st, we are going to gather here, the whole church family, kids and everyone. And we're going to, for about an hour, we're just going to pray and we're going to sing some songs. And we're going to ask God to do exceedingly more than we can ask, think or imagine. Um, so the purpose of the fast is to remind ourselves that God is our provider um, and to ask God to do uh, what he's do- more than what he's even done in our midst before. And so again, that starts this Thursday, 6.30 p.m. Um, and we'll break that fast together, 6.30 Friday p.m., um, March, March 1st here in this room. If you're not familiar with the fast, and I don't even know what a fast is, here's what you should do. Um, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, there will be posts on the website. So I want to direct your attention there. That's redemptionaz.com on the Tempe page. And you'll be able to see and read some articles um, and some helpful tips written by some of the pastors here on what fasting is and why we're fasting. So I want to encourage all of you to go to that website uh, to be able to see that for some more instructions. Second thing is, um, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after, we're going to have First Wednesdays, and uh, you're going to be in for a treat. Uh, the, the topic is career and calling, um, and this is something we, are, we can't wait to do. Um, it's going to be talking about your calling and vocation um, outside of the local church, and then how to find your calling, and then what does God think about or value when it comes to uh, the marketplace and the broadest sense. So from being a stay-at-home mom to working at a corporation or being a student. Um, I want to highlight that panel we're going to have for that night is going to be men and women from across the, uh, the sectors um, that would be able to speak to it. Jim Mullins and Kareen Sharp will be facilitating that night. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So again, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, highly encourage you all to be there. Um, one of the things we do every week is when I get up on stage, I say we are a redemption church. We believe that all of life is offered Jesus. And I say we're one church, multiple congregations. Um, so what that means is we have other congregations that make up redemption church. Um, and we primarily, as we should, focus on redemption Tempe because we are redemption Tempe. Uh, but what I want to do today before we jump to the message is kind of give you a snapshot on what God is doing at the other congregations, what God is doing in redemption wide, and then also what is God doing in and through redemption to bless people outside of our local congregations. And so if you guys would join me in putting your hands together for Tyler Johnson. Tyler is the lead pastor 
What's that? I know. He's laughing because I fell on the way up here. You guys actually think that he was an athlete? Yeah. He couldn't even get up the steps before it's, tripping. It's so. these hipster boots my wife bought me. That's exactly right. <laughs> See what you guys do to him? You make him dress different, tight jeans, hipster boots. I was just boots, being reliant on the word and the Lord. So Tyler, Tyler is one shorter than me. And then Tyler is also the lead pastor of all the redemption. And before we go back and forth, which we could, and clearly I would tell you who would win that one all day, every day. Um, tell us what I say I'm the lead pastor here, and then you're the lead pastor of Redemption Church. That could be confusing. So essentially, tell us who's the boss. I'm clearly the boss. Um, so here's the deal. Redemption Church is a multi-congregational church. And when I'll come in front of a congregation and establish my title as the lead pastor of Redemption Church, it's confusing because you're sitting in the chairs thinking, well, wait a minute, I'm in Redemption Church and Ricardo's the lead pastor. He is. He's the lead pastor of Redemption Tempe. And we have lead pastors of every congregation that we have. So Luke Simmons is the lead pastor of Redemption Gateway, which is the south, south, southeast valley. And then Tim Mons, the lead pastor of Redemption Gilbert. Ricardo's lead pastor of Redemption Tempe. Frank Switzer of Redemption Arcadia. Chris Amaro of our church plant, Redemption West Mesa, which is a bilingual congregation. And then Vince Garvey is the lead pastor of Redemption Flagstaff. And then I am the lead pastor over that whole entire connected congregational model. And that's how my title of lead pastor of Redemption Church comes in, which provides an awesome opportunity for us to say what we are. We delineate ourselves from what some of you in here may know as multi-site. A traditional multi-site church, if you think is kind of top down in their sites of kind of one mothership congregation. Redemption Church is multi-congregational. So we have elder teams and lead pastors in every congregation. And so pictures speak a thousand words, and here's one for you. Redemption Church is like a city that there are different neighborhoods of, right? So it's one city with different neighborhoods that have their councils that lead their neighborhoods that try to make it a better place. And we would say, just like a city would, a city's as good as its neighborhoods. We would say Redemption Church is only as good and strong as the strengths and goodness of each local congregation. That's really good. Uh, explain to us um, redemption-wide. Give us a snapshot on what's happening um, in the other congregations outside of Tempe. Yeah. We use language that Redemption Church exists as a whole, exists to establish and birth new congregations. And so what we mean by establish is strengthen churches, make them stronger. Birth means start new churches. And we believe that the local congregation is incredibly strategic for displaying God's love to the world. So some things um, that show that we are better together. We've started uh, foster care and adoption initiative as a large church that we are with these multiple congregations. We've partnered with other large churches in the city because there are literally kids every single night sleeping on the floors of Child Protective Services offices. And we're saying, what if we really called our people... Um, to see God's heart for the orphan. And we mobilized people to foster and adopt more children. So we're doing that. We have many refugee and immigrant initiatives, initiatives that are help caring for the poor. And we're trying to start new congregations that continue to care about those things. We're working globally uh, with people that are working with the global poor, that are planting churches in, in um, areas that are very hard and don't have a lot of Christian witness in them. Um, we're partnering with some incredible organizations 
organizations. There's one in Iraq called the Preemptive Love Coalition um, that's giving heart surgeries to children who, because their parents were uh, experienced the chemical warfare of Saddam Hussein um, when he did his chemical warfare against the Kurds. They're trying to give heart surgeries to those children. So there's some incredible things happening that we wouldn't be able to do without Redemption Church existing together. Um, can you give us just uh, <clears throat> an update on the two churches, congregations, which planted out of here? So San Francisco, as well as Vince up in Flagstaff. Great. Um, so we plant churches outside of the Redemption Arizona umbrella and inside. So when we plant inside, we call them planting congregations, and we plant churches, too, that you guys know and you planted specifically out of this congregation Redemption San Francisco that Justin Anderson's leading is just at the point where they've started uh, consistently gathering together. They've got about 50 to 60 adults going right in the heart of San Francisco. We've connected him with a larger network of churches. And at the end of the month, a management team will be meeting out there with him. Uh, He's seen a lot of other churches step up to partner with him financially in that work there. It's going incredible. You guys as a congregation should be proud in the planting of that church as well as the planting of Redemption Stanford or Redemption Flagstaff. I was with them last weekend. They're now at two services on a Sunday, one in the morning, one in the evening, uh, well over 100 people uh, attending there and, and growing. There's an incredible vibe about that church in Flagstaff. And again, you guys should be very proud by your work in sending those two churches out. Tyler, tell us what is the future or what, what part does Redemption Tempe play in the greater Redemption's future? I mean, see into the future and tell us exactly what God will be doing through us. He's unearthing my <laughs> prophetic gifting, future telling. Anybody need anything, come talk to me after. <laughs> That's a joke if you're new. I don't, I don't tell the future very well. But I will say this. That question is, is a really important one for every congregation inside Redemption Church. Is What is the piece that they play of the whole? And you guys cannot overestimate the significance of Redemption Tempe. It is um, most likely the fastest growing congregation of any of the Redemption congregations. It's very strategically placed by the university and as a connection. You guys are already a regional church drawing from multiple cities. I would say Redemption Tempe is probably at this point grasped the strongest. This idea of all of life is all for Jesus is identified in your first Wednesday that's coming up of saying the callings of all of you to the marketplace, whether it be education or business or the entertainment industry, whatever it might be, is as significant a calling under God as Ricardo's calling and being a pastor, um, as well as your guys' campaign right now to be a stronger church and really get yourselves um, moving from kind of infant phase and moving into adulthood by getting your own property is an opportunity to show when we get a property, how we can serve uh, the wider society by both training you and equipping you to be uh, stronger followers of Jesus and how we can corporately serve by opening up our property that God's given us to serve the cities that we're in. So I think you guys cannot underestimate and or overestimate the significance. Do not underestimate and don't, um, you couldn't overestimate the significance of this congregation. So one of the things that that we know on staff that Redemption's a part of and just, um, just a lot of things that are happening that we get the chance to speak into and be, be able to host. And so I would love for you to talk about what we're hosting on March 7th here with David Kinnaman and You Lost Me. Yeah, Thursday, March 7th, Redemption Tempe is hosting an event. David Kinnaman is now the president of the Barna Group. He's done a ton of research 
um, about why 18 to kind of 30-year-olds are losing, are leaving the church, and it's so hard for the church to grasp them and get them to stick in the church. He is an incredible speaker, very provocative. Your thoughts will be stirred significant, and we're hosting an event that Thursday from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. called You Lost Me, and it's their live event uh, that'll be outstanding. If you have the opportunity to take off work to be there, I promise you, you will not regret it. And for all those who you view who just can be there, it's a free event. It will not cost you anything. If you go to our website, you can register for it. And this room, um, from what I heard just yesterday, will be filled up uh, pretty much to the edges that day. So we encourage you to be there. Cool. Normally what we do is we have, um, we bring people up and we pray for them. But, um, you know, since you're like the bishop, can you uh, put your hands on me and, and pray for it? Guys, that was a joke. Tyler's not a bishop. Gosh, man. Oh, I am. Pray Let's pray. Him. God, I thank you for this congregation. Um, thank you for what you're doing in and through Redemption Church at large. I pray that this morning would have given uh, everybody seated in here a little bit of a glimpse of how much you're working through this church to which we're grateful. God, we confess to you and ask that we would decrease, that you might increase. I pray that for Ricardo and the elders and leaders of this church. Uh, God, that they would decrease, that you might increase. God, we do not want uh, any one individual's name or even the name of Redemption Church to be made known, but we want the name of Jesus Christ to be made known. And so, Holy Spirit, empower us to fulfill what you have called us to be in your disciples and let us accurately reflect your grace and your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. All right, we're going to jump right in it. You should be in Acts chapter 2. Um, that's where I had you guys turn to. Uh, again, the topic this week is reliance. And, and just on the heels of last week, uh, where we looked at an eclectic community. Um, in, in case you forgot, we saw how the gospel, good news of Jesus Christ, vertically, takes us who were dead in our sins and our trespasses by God's grace, this, this undeserved gift. God himself draws us to himself and then horizontally in the good news of the gospel is that he draws people to each other. So we see vertically Jesus Christ and the blood of Christ, the good news of Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting for our sins is that we are free in him. But we're also called to be free, not only one with God but one in front of another. And so this week we're saying, what do we do? Like now that we have this community, this eclectic community that we believe that God is growing, um, what are the essential things that we as a community of believers ought to be relying on over the next 10, 15, 20 years um, to our end of our existence as the church? And I believe the first thing that we need to do on that is go to the scripture and see what the first Christians did. What the early church did. And so that's what we pick up in Acts chapter 2. And I just want to give you the context of what's happening here. Um, Acts chapter 1, Jesus is still walking on this earth. Um, He's been resurrected. He's instructing his disciples. There's about 120 at this time. And he tells them to remain in Jerusalem and to pray. And when they pray, he says, just just wait. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And then Jesus goes to be with the Father, to sit at the right hand of the Father. And then the the men and women of God, they're locked up in a room. And it says here in Acts chapter 2 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon them. And they begin to speak in tongues or other languages. um, Languages that they had never spoken in before. And then the outside world began to see them speaking in this language. They didn't know what was happening, but it was an activity of the Holy Spirit. 
First time ever the Spirit had been poured out upon God's people to never be removed. And, and, and the people around, those who did not believe yet in Jesus, were going, what's happening? They, they didn't even know how to describe it. In fact, one of them says, are these guys drunk? And then Peter goes, no, they're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. They get drunk later, right? There, 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 there's, there's, a, there's a sense here where the, the activity of the Spirit in the church was known to the community around. And, and it says that Peter got up and he preached the message, one of the best messages um, preach that we see in the New Testament. And, and, and after Peter's done talking about Jesus, and he says, this Jesus in whom you killed, meaning every single person that believes in Jesus, it was our sins that, that held and nailed him to the cross. This Jesus says, you killed, God raised him from the dead that you may have life. And then what we read about in chapter 2, verses 41, before we jump into 42, so those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So 3,120 people. It was 120, then you plus the 3,000, add the 3,000 there. So you have this mega church, a lot of people in Jerusalem from different backgrounds, and they're saying, how are we going to do this thing called church? The Spirit of Christ is upon us. How are we going to live as Christians? And they had to rely on three things that we see in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. It's a reliance upon God's word and a reliance upon God's people and then lastly, it's reliance upon God's spirit, God's word, God's people, and his spirit. Hear me. These are things that we're going to be coming back to again and again and again and again. Um, sometimes when it's talked about the Acts 2 church, people go, that's a perfect church. I want, to, I want to be a part of that church. That church is perfect. No, no, no. A perfect church, that's like an oxymoron. Um, Jesus came to save people who, who understand that they're not perfect. In fact, when you see this church play out its life in just a few chapters, you're going to see that there was a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they dropped dead in front of people. Um, you have marriage issues in this church, hypocrisy in this church, just like in our church. Um, so the church is not a people who are perfect and never, were, never did it mean to be or never was it the church of perfect people. However, it was imperfect people who understood Jesus and realized in order for them to grow in Christ, to be witnesses to the world around them, that they depend upon God's word, depend upon God's people, and his spirit. First, God's word, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, here's what it says first. They devoted themselves to the teaching. You got this 3,000 plus church, and the one thing they said is, we're going to devote ourselves or give ourselves to God's word. Just a stat, about 3.9 billion Bibles were, were sold in the, in the last billion Bibles in the last 50 years, which makes the Bible the, the, you know, the best-selling book. You've heard that before. It's the best-selling book. But you and I both know there is a big difference between best-selling and then most read. So, so when J.K. Rowling makes Harry Potter, which, by the way, is third on the list, um, about 4 million copies sold. My guess is um, those, those novels were written from front um, to back, from beginning to ending. People actually read them. Um, there, there's a quote here by Jack Wilson that should be on the screen, screen here. This is what he says. He says, not all copies of the Bible are read, and almost none are read cover to cover. If we turned our attention to the modern, the modern novel, it would be a bizarre and ludicrous experience to only read a few pages in the middle and ignore the rest. 
He said we would never do that, right? If we're reading some of our, our, our favorite no- novels, whether it's a Great Gatsby or Killing Mockingbird, The Outsiders or Harry Potter, right? Whatever it may be, we, we start that mug and we finish it. But, th- but this Jack, Jack Wilson saying, but it'd be ludicrous, right, to do what we do with the Bible and read just a little bit of the Bible and then go tell the world we know what we're talking about. Now, what's most ironic about that, and kind of sad, is the guy, Jack Wilson there, he's an atheist. Meaning he doesn't even believe in God. He's just making an accurate assessment upon Christians that we read very little of, of, our, of our sacred text and then we tell everybody um, that we know everything about the Bible, we know everything about Jesus. Um, one of the problems when it comes to being a community that is relying upon God's word is one of the major issues with the Christian church, guys, is it's biblical illiteracy. Meaning men and women don't read their Bibles. Like they don't not only read their Bibles, they don't know their Bibles. They, they don't understand it from, from creation to new creation, from Genesis to Revelation, and, and how it pieces together and how it makes sense to the rest of life. Um, there are some men and women who read their Bible and they study it and it's marked up for days. But it has no effect on how they apply it to the rest of their life. Um, we, we talked about David Kinnevin who wrote that book, You Lost Me, and he's doing that conference. Brilliant book. And the whole book is just his research and talking about 18 to 30-year-olds and why they walked away from the church. And one of the leading reasons that, that they talk about is that many men and women that were in the church said that they heard the Bible taught, but it was never applied to their life. They never knew how to make sense of it in medicine and science and art and politics and sports and family and relationship. There was a lot of do's and a lot of don't do's, but not a why's. I mean, it was not connected. And, and, and Carl Ellis, who writes a lot of books, he talks about um, the word of God being like, um, being like powdered milk. And, and some of you know that, you know, if a baby can't have normal milk from his mother, they will have uh, powdered milk. And in powdered milk is all the proper nutrients that that child would need. But Carl, Carl Ellis says that, but a child can't drink that. He will put it in his mouth and spit it out unless it's applied to the water. And he says the same way, if we just have a Bible and we have all these copies of the Bible and we hand them out to people and they don't know how to read them or they don't read them, and when they read them, they don't apply them to the waters of their life, it's not affecting and informing and in shaping the way that they do all of life, man, it's not drinkable. And many of us find ourselves there for whatever reason. But the church, when the church began, the genesis of the church is they knew no other reason but to submit themselves, to devote themselves to give themselves to the teachings of the apostles, the, the, the teachings of the writers of the New Testament, uh, the, the teachings that they had also from the Old Testament, to see how this Bible, how this word of God would shape them and form them. Because listen, they were asking the same questions that you and I are asking. I mean, they're asking questions of what's wrong with this world? Um, what's wrong with the people around me? Uh, what's wrong with me? Why do I do the crazy things that I do? And is there a way? Is there a way to make sense of the madness around us, not just in my local understanding, but even in my global understanding of this world? Is there a solution? Is, is there a remedy to this madness? And they found that in Christ. They found that in the work of Christ. Mind you, just remind you, it's 3,000 people who were new Christians. What they needed most and what they wanted most is the same thing that we need most and we should want most, and that is Jesus. And an understanding of Jesus that makes sense to all areas of life. And so they begin to vote themselves to Scripture. Because Scripture in itself, it tells us the story about what happened in this world. In fact, it says how God himself in his goodness, he created this beautiful world. And at the apex of his creation, he created humanity. That we have 
dignity and value and purpose and meaning because we were created after the likeness of God. Not because of what we've done and what we haven't done. Even though sin has affected us, we still have this purpose, dignity and value and meaning because we were created in the image of God. Um, he also gave these, these first humans, Adam and Eve, volition, the ability to choose. And in their volition, they chose to sin against their creator. Um, they, they chose to be God for themselves. And because of that, sin entered into this world. And it's affected so much, so much more complex than just morality or sexual ethics. But we begin to ask questions now, what does it mean to be human? And we draw our worldview or our life view from this, this story. That unfolds how God sets on a long plan of redemption to redeem everything that was broken. Not just humanity, but everything in which you created. And how this has its pinnacle or its climax in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. Who now promises to come, to come back and restore this whole world. The Bible, it tells the true story of the world. Now, if we are to be shaped by this and yet we never read it, what story is shaping us and what story are we telling? What will happen is we will have a mixture of what we understand about Jesus and our culture. It's inevitable that will happen. It says here they devoted themselves, meaning they gave themselves to the Lord. They gave themselves to, to this teaching. But if we, you and I are honest, when it comes to reading the Bible, we have good intentions, but we don't really have good devotion, Right? Um, we, don't, we have good intentions, like I want to read my Bible. And maybe some of us go, I don't even know how. I'm not going to do this in this room, but what, what I'll do in smaller settings is, hey, raise your hand if you don't know how to read your Bible. Don't raise your hand now. I'm just saying what I would do. Um, and, and many people will go, yeah, how long have you been a Christian? Six, seven, eight years. And you know what? We need to teach you. And other people need to teach you. And what I usually say is, how many of you guys know how to read your Bible enough to teach somebody else? And they raise, all right, those of you who raise your hand first, find them, get together, make sure it's not like a guy-girl thing. And you're like, oh, yeah, 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 you teach me how to read my Bible, right? <laughs> I got so, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. No, right? But the, there, there's many who don't know how to read the Bible. That, that's just the truth. But there's also many of us who would rather read a book about God than God's book. Like, I, I'll find myself there where I would rather pick up a copy of a, a book by somebody else uh, that writes about God. Maybe a copy about uh, the book of Acts by, by somebody else instead of, like, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, right? Um, and that's what we'll do. And, 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 and people think that, like, that's, that, that's what pastors do all the time, that we just love reading our Bibles all the time. And people go, I want to be in ministry like you guys. You probably just get around and read the Bible all day and float in the air. And I'm like, no, I float in the air, but I mean, it's a discipline to read, to read the Bible, right? <laughs> there, there, there is a legitimate discipline to reading God's word. Um, you have to discipline yourself, and that's something we don't do, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, here's why I think that what gets in the way for us, and, and why we look at these early Christians, they were dependent upon the Lord, and um, they relied upon his word, and what, that, what confuses us or what distracts us is one is um, our culture because we're not being shaped by this, this story, this beautiful story that has its climax in Christ's life, death and resurrection, is Tim Keller says the culture is like rain. No matter what you put on yourself, um, you, you, um, no matter what you put on yourself, you're still going to get wet. And, um, and, he, and he says that, that the culture will shape you. And our culture right now is a rapid-paced, fast culture. 
Like, everything is fast. You get anything fast. You get a degree online. You don't even got to go see people, right? You could just, you, everything is fast. When you wake up in the morning, you have your alarm gum off on your phone. You have a coffee maker that's already going. Somehow you press the button, your car got started. You press the nut and button, your house opened up, and then you put, and then your car, I mean, it's just, it's amazing, right? They're, they're just, just look at our lives. I mean, there's emails going away. There's Twitter feeds. There's Facebook feeds. There's just so much. There's kids crying at you. There's, there's women, or wives, sorry, not like that. Um, wife, yeah, no, you, I mean, just stuff happening that we're so easily distracted that to take the time and actually hear from a text that was written uh, close to 2,000 years ago, we just kind of go, ah, oh, I don't know if we can, we just, we're too distracted. And, and so we don't read whole books of the Bible. If anything, we'll, we'll read like a devotion, read a couple verses here and there, but we won't have the totality of what the writer's saying. Um, another reason, it's not just that we're distracted, is God doesn't move fast enough for us. We, we want experience. We want experience in a relationship. Like if we're in a relationship and if things don't quote unquote feel right, we're out. And when it comes to our relationship with God and it comes to his word, if we're not moved, if we're not stirred, if there's not an emotional response, then we're kind of like, we're done with the Bible. And, and unfortunately, the Bible doesn't read like that. Um, there are moments, and I've said this before, with my, my time with the Lord, there are moments where I, am, I feel like God is so far away. And right now, through my reading plan, I'm in Leviticus. And I'm like, gosh, I can't get, wait to get past Levit- Leviticus, right? I'm reading more now just to get past Leviticus to something else. Because it's, it's, it's kind of boring in a lot of ways. But then when I sit and, and, and there, there are moments where I can be still, even when I read um, the things of the law in the Old Testament, I'm warm to know what Christ has done on our behalf, of what he's accomplished for us. And there's moments where, where the Lord seems so close to me. Um, and so when it comes to reading our Bible, since we're very experiential and we want things fast, we just kind of put it off. We just put it to the side and, and we move on to something else. We have intentions, but we, we don't do it. And so we have this, this biblically illiterate culture where people know things about God here and there, but not the total of the story. But um, I think we can find help by looking at these Christians here. Um, there, I've always thought that there was something you can always learn from very, very new Christians. Um, those of you guys have been around people who have just been Christians for several months or, you know, there's a lot of things they say and do that, you know, you're going to take that back, you know, um, but there's an excitement and here's what they did here. Um, not only did they devote himself to the apostles teaching, if you jump down to verse 46, it says, this is how they did it day by day, attending the temple together. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Um, Day by day, it says that they're attending the temple together. And then they're also going to each other's homes. So, so what that looks like is they came to something like this and they usually heard a person um, pull out the scrolls and, and, and they would teach and then they would go home and they would talk about that teaching and they would read and they would share stories because this was an oral culture and they would share stories about the, the Old Testament and how it pointed to Jesus Christ. And so not only did they just come into service and, and, and this is what we do and, and I'll sit down with men and women and say, this is the only time that you really hear the Bible taught is when you come on a Sunday and it's like, yeah, usually. Um, you should also be in people's homes. Um, and reading the Bible out loud together. Um, and so if we just take the principles from look, looking at this early church, and what does it mean to rely on God's word? It's to devote ourselves. One, read, it's going to be really simple. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. Some people, read it alone. Uh, read it alone. Some people call it quiet time. Um, some people call it time with the Lord. Or some people call it feasting with God. Listen, you don't have to call it anything. You can just call it 
reading the Bible, right? Um, read it by yourself, and then also read it with others. Um, because we're a very individualistic culture, our natural tendency is to do everything by ourselves and then maybe talk about it later instead of just opening up the scripture with people in your home, um, at a coffee place, in the park, wherever you are, and just read it out loud and let that person ask questions um, with, without critique and um, with, with, without, um, um, without shame and just, I don't know this question or, hey, I think, I think it's saying this. How do we find out what it's really saying? And what you don't know, you write the questions down. Not that you can get your own meaning from scripture. No, no, no. You want to get its original meaning in order that you may be able to apply it to your life. So you read it alone and then you also read it with others. Um, they, they expose themselves as much as they can to God's word and they did it regular. So you should expose yourself to God's word. Um, if you say, I have a hard time reading, get it in a, in a, in a CD. Um, there are some very, very soothing voices out there that have, that, that have the Bible. It is amazing what Max McLean can do. I'm telling you. Um, you can listen to it. Um, listen to sermons. I mean, just you should be exposed to God's word um, and understanding of the Bible. Uh, take classes. We constantly have classes, classes how to read the Bible, classes how to interpret the Bible. Take those classes. And if you, some of you are very, very good teachers, that you're good at taking and walking alongside other people, you should take classes in order to help people and disciple more people that we are discipling each other to be reliant upon God's word and to know God's word. Uh, The the last part, not just read alone, not just read with each other, not just be exposed. um, But I would tell us this, do it, do it in community, Right? So not just with others, but in life together. Not only that was this church reliant upon God's word. It's one thing to know the Bible, but not be able to live it out in the context of one another's. Um, we have to be reliant upon God, but also we need to be reliant upon his people, upon each other. Um, what we see in verse 42 is not where they just rely upon God's, God's, God's word, but also God's people. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and of prayers. Um, and when it says fellowship there, it's, it's the Greek word koinonia, which means together. It means partnership. It means sharing. Meaning they wanted to do this together. This wasn't just something, an isolated event where someone just gained a lot of knowledge and then went on by himself or herself. But they, they submitted together collectively to the understanding of God's word. And then they relied on each other to live out their lives together, to live out their lives in families and relationship, to live out their lives in the, in the public marketplace, that they gathered together. It was a community. Um, that's what the church is. It's a gathering of God's people where we gather together to hear God's word and then we scatter to be God's people and witnesses. But it happens as we rub shoulders with one another. And in fact, the Bible in itself is replete with one another's. Over 50 verses in the New Testament, forgiving one another, as James says, love one another. Jesus says, this is how they're going to know you, if you love one another. The Apostle John says, if you don't love one another, the love of Christ is not in you. And Peter says, be hospitable to one another, meaning be with people. We have to be with one another. And this is true biblical community. Hear me on this. We, as a church, are pretty darn good at hanging out. Um, we are really good at doing community and, and the very generic sense of the word community, meaning like hanging out, um, uh, hanging out at some of the coolest coffee places, some of the, the, the nicest breweries. Uh, we, we will hang out and play cornhole for hours and, and, and just have good community. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when we say rely on God's people, 
The type of people that are God's people are a people not so much by what they can do in activities, but by whom are they shaped by. You see, when it says koinonia here, it's not just saying they're just hanging out. What it says next is that they're breaking bread together. And the New Testament, again and again, breaking bread was not only just having a meal together. Breaking bread means they were centering their life around Jesus. It was communion. It means that they came together week by week and oftentimes day by day, and they broke bread to remind each other of whom they owed their life to, who their identity flowed from, that their identity was not their last name. It wasn't what they were doing for work. It wasn't what they had done in sin or in righteousness, but what Christ has done on their behalf. And so they were centered around the work of Christ Jesus. And that was true biblical community. And when you have a a community that is centered around the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, now you have a community that is an accountable community. I mean, there's accountability to one another. That you're able to take responsibility for one another and your congregation. Now, sometimes when you hear the word accountability, it's sometimes like a cuss word because some of us have been about accountability that didn't seem anything but accountability. Um, Let me explain what I mean when I say that when we center our lives and we're tethered to the center, which is Jesus Christ, that it creates an accountable community. Some communities, their accountability is off knowledge. And so what you know or what you don't know makes you in or out. And so it's heavy on doctrine. It's heavy on knowledge and how you can explain Christ. And so it's knowledge, and knowledge is essentially how you explain Christ. Or on this side, you have communities and accountabilities about behavior. And so you're constantly watching, did you do it? Did you do it? Did you not do it? How many times? Oh, don't do it next time. Right? And there's a lot of, lot of do's and don'ts. And so it's, it's majored on behavior. But you and I know, it's like acting Christianity. You and I know that we can fake that. We all had parents growing up. We all knew how to act in front of our parents. We know how to act in front of our friends' parents. As soon as you walk in, oh, hi, Mrs. Taylor. Oh, it is splendid. Praise the Lord, right? You knew, you, knew how, you knew how to act, but it did nothing to your heart. And so, again, uh, accountability on knowledge is how to explain Christ, and on behavior is how to act Christ. What we see here in the scripture and what we are trying to establish and grow in, in redemption is, is not no knowledge-based or even just behavior-based. Um, so not no explaining Christ or acting Christ, but trusting Christ. It's belief. Belief is centered around what he has done, who he is, and how we now, in response to what he has done on our behalf, we want to delight in him, we want to resemble him, and so we stay tethered to him. Are there boundaries? Absolutely. Um, Are there rules? Absolutely. Is there instruction? Absolutely. But we we don't say you're in or you're out because of what you know, what you've done. You're in by faith and being tethered to the one who has done everything on your behalf. And we're tethered to that because we do know this. The more we deepen in our, our faith and our belief in who Christ is, knowledge is a part of that. And, and the more that God begins to shape us through the work of his son Jesus through the gospel, we understand that our behavior has changed. So it's not just behavior modification. It is a heart transformation to Christ that I begin to look like him. I begin to live like him and reflect him in all areas of my life. That's accountability. And when you have that type of a community, You have a community that's open for confession, that I can confess my sin to you. I can be transparent before you, that even as a pastor, believe it or not, I can be vulnerable before people because I understand his grace. In fact, it is God's grace that causes me to be vulnerable and transparent because I know I can only help through God. And his means of me receiving that grace is you. 
And your means of receiving his grace and understanding it is each other. It's a community of correction. Because in this community, since we center around the gospel, that correction is not we're trying to correct you so you can get out because you don't know enough. Or we're trying to correct you because you've done wrong. But we're trying to call you through correction to Christ. And this correction, it's humil, it's humble. It's, it's Jesus saying, you have to act as if you have a log in your eye before you go see a speck in your brother and your sister. Like, I, like, like, I got this log in my eye, I can barely see it, right? But I do see something. And there's humility there. It, it's celebration. We have to have a community of celebration. I've been in contexts where I've seen that they do a great job at, quote-unquote, calling sin out. But there's no celebration. Like, they can't wait to call somebody on sin. Oh, I got him. That's my turn. Right? And they just want to call someone. And it's like, celebrate. Are you serious? Throughout the Bible, Jesus and God himself are telling us, celebrate, eat, and celebrate. We get to the New Testament. Jesus says, listen, I'm about to leave. I want you to eat and drink and celebrate. At the very end of the Bible, what we see in the new heavens and new earth, Jesus is like, I got a table for you guys. Here's what I love about, about Jesus, too. Jesus says, um, in, the, in the Gospel of Luke, he's talking about the fruit of, of, um, that makes wine, the grape. And he says, I will not drink of this until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. So this picture of Jesus saying, I'm going to fast from wine until you guys get here. I, I, I love that. And it's a celebration. So not only are we confessing sin, but we're turning to Jesus. That's what confession is for. And not only being corrected and love correction, not just the correction part, because we're coming back to Jesus. So we have to celebrate because we have the risen Lord as our Savior. So we celebrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We celebrate birthdays. We celebrate parties. We celebrate everything. Like people should see our church and go, they're always celebrating. Why? Because God is good and he's given us so much. That, that, that there is, it's centered around the life of Christ, shaped by his word in community with one another. And, and, and these last two things are important, too. It's a community where people can ask questions. And a community that's based on knowledge, you're afraid to ask the wrong question. And a community of behavior, you don't ask questions because everything's already assumed. A community that's tethered around Jesus, when you, when you honestly have a problem, you can go, I don't know about that. You don't think the early Christians, when they first start hearing about some of the things that happened in the Old Testament, they go, really? That happened? I mean, I, yes, I love Jesus, but can you help me explain that? Can you, can you, can you explain that to me? Um, you, you don't think that early Christians, just like Christians now, just like us in this room, many of us don't have doubts? You got to create space for that. And not just doubt, I'm talking struggles. Like there are men, in this, men and women in this room that struggle in sin. They struggle. They struggle with their sexuality. They, they struggle in the same sins again and again. And we're not trying to say we want to be a place where people can just do whatever they want to do. No, 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 no. We tethered around Christ. But when we see our Savior, when we remember him, we remember what he did. And Jesus is constantly around those struggling people, and he's pointing him himself. And so we, we sinners too, we come along struggling people, and we point them to Jesus in loving ways. And sometimes it takes a lot longer with some than it does with others. And we can only do that because we're tethered. We're, we're, we're tethered to the center who is Christ Jesus. So, some of us, we don't have community like that. That sounds good because we don't have any biblical community. This is probably the saddest part in my role as a pastor for the past six years is when I sit down with individuals and couples and their lives, it's falling apart. Like they're spiritually wasting away. And when I ask the question, who are you connected to? Nobody. I mean, they may have some friends, but not people who are pointing them to Jesus. 
Now, now, now hear me, those of you in this room who are not Christian, I'm not any means saying that, that a friendship with a, a person who's not a Christian is, invalu- is not valuable. No, but I am completely saying that if you have a worldview and a belief in Christ Jesus and you are not experiencing that and living that out with other believers, you are lacking. You may understand God's word and be able to understand theology and doctrine. I know many people who, can, who know more theology and doctrine than any of us in here, and their lives are disconnected from God's people, and they are walking outside of God's ways, and it is damaging marriages, it is damaging relationships and friendships, it's damaging their own spiritual well-being because they're disconnected. My, my worst time in my walk in the Lord was, was a couple years after I became a Christian, and I was separated from believers. Um, I was separated. I was outside of one church looking for another church, and, and I just hung out with the crew that I knew, and I loved these guys, but it was not something that was good for my soul. Did I read my Bible every morning? Every single morning I read my Bible, then every single night I was out wiling out. That means doing bad things. They're, 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 we have to be connected. So if we're going to be dependent upon God's word, then we have to be dependent upon God's people or we will spiritually waste away, spiritually waste away. The, the, the last thing that we see, not just God's word, God's people, but it's God's spirit. God's spirit. Uh, if you read with me in verse 43, after devoting themselves to his word and after devoting themselves to fellowship, it says, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. I love that. Like, like, just real simple, right? They read their Bibles daily, with each other, and then they broke bread and talked about Jesus with each other, and then we saw signs and wonders, right? Like, it sounds like, man, that just seems easy, right? Um, when it comes to relying on the Spirit, sometimes this gets us confused. We, many of us don't know the role of the Holy Spirit, or we've seen some things on TV that we go, oh, no, I hope that doesn't happen in my church. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know, maybe it will. We'll see, right? Um, when it comes to these signs and wonders, um, here's what I want to just give us a biblical understanding of what it means to rely on the Holy Spirit. One, we should not be afraid of it. Two, we should be biblically informed. So let me deal with the first one. Relying on the Holy Spirit means that we shouldn't be afraid of what we see in Acts. If you just sat down and you read the book of Acts from, from beginning to end, you, you would go, holy moly. Like people are being, I mean, Paul's preaching a sermon. He's going way longer than I've ever gone. And then he, some guy falls asleep, falls out a window, dies. Paul comes back and goes, I wasn't done. Raises him from the dead and then keeps preaching again, right? Like crazy stuff like that. You see people who are, who are blind, who have sight. You see the same things that you saw in Jesus' life, right? And so you see signs and wonders. And we should not be afraid that if God, by his Holy Spirit, decided to do something, that he should do it. And he would do it. And we should be okay with that and trust that it is his world and it's his church. Now, we should be informed. There's a lot of craziness out there that's just not biblically accurate. Um, there's a lot of things that we see on TV that we've been experiencing in churches that are not biblically accurate. So we want to be faithful. Now, when it comes to relying on the Spirit, let me just tell you about the Spirit. The Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit regenerates our hearts, meaning makes us see the gospel and love Jesus. Um, the Spirit creates. He was there hovering over creation. Um, the Spirit gives gifts. 
The first gifts the Spirit gives, ironically, is to artists to build the temple. We read about that in Exodus. Uh, The Spirit gives gifts to the church, all types of gifts that we all have. They're gift mixes. Um, The Spirit convicts us of sin and of righteousness. The Spirit is a person, so he could could be grieved. So he's grieved when we we do what God tells us not to do. Um, He's quenched when we don't do what God tells us to do. And so this is the role of the Spirit. But the primary role of the Spirit is to point people to Jesus. Let's point them to Jesus. So we can talk about signs, and we can talk about wonders, and we pray that God would do whatever it takes to get our attention, that we may be disciples of Jesus, whatever it takes. Um, But we want to be biblically informed. The Spirit points to Jesus. Jesus talks to his disciples, and he says, hey, when I leave, there's going to be another one coming. Um, And he calls him the helper, the counselor, which literally means someone who comes alongside you to continue the work that Jesus started. In fact, when you read the book of Acts, it's usually called the Acts of the Apostles, I think it'd be best titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because we live in the age of the Spirit. The Spirit has not been more active in any time in biblical history than it is now, post the resurrection of Christ Jesus. So we shouldn't be afraid of it, but we should be, we should be informed. So we pray for God to do things that God would do, but we can't be obsessed with the signs and wonders. Relying on the Spirit boils down to this. Obeying Jesus. It's looking at God's word and obeying him. In fact, when you look at the book of Revelation, Jesus goes off on a few churches. And when he goes off on these churches, he never says, you know what? I'm taking you away because you weren't speaking in tongues. You know, we have people say, is redemption a spirit-filled church? I'm like, yeah, you know it, right? And they, and they, they say, well, I don't see a lot of hands raised. And listen, to me, hands raised are not necessarily an indicator if you're, um, not necessarily indicator if you're filled with the spirit. I think hands raised, for the most part, is culturally and sometimes personality-driven. There are some people who are filled with the spirit that just that, that don't even move. And they're filled, and you can't tell, and that's something that God's doing. And then there's some people who may or not be raised. Listen, it's a personality thing. It's not like, you know, you get a little bit of the Spirit, and you get here, and you kind of worship right here, right? And then you get real filled, and you're like, I'm in, right? No. Um, To be filled with the Spirit, um, when you see it says, don't be drunk off wine, as Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit, it always connects back to God's Word. And being be in submission to God's Word and doing God's Word. So when Jesus is looking at these churches and going, man, you know what? You're not prophesying. So you know what? I'm going to take you out. You're not speaking in tongues. He goes, no, you're not loving me. You lost your first love. You're not serving the poor. Um, he, he talks to the church of Laodicea. He goes, listen, you're not hot. You're not cold. You know what? I spit you out of my mouth, which means you're, you're, you're unfruitful. You're useless. Like you're not doing anything in response to my name. So when we say rely on God's word and then rely on, on, on God's people and then rely on his spirit, it boils down to we want to see what God has told us to do primarily in his authoritative word, and we want to live that out together. And every single time in the, in the New Testament we see, and we can be confident, is the Spirit supports the ministry. You want to see the Spirit engage in the life of our church? Do Believe in Jesus, and in response to that, do what he has called you to do in the context of one another, and the Spirit always supports the ministry. Um, let me wrap this up. Here's what he says here with this, this church on the word, the people of God and the spirit of God. Verse 47, it says, they are praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those who are being saved. They, they, they submitted to God's word. They, they lived life in the context of one another under a biblical community centered around the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. They trusted in the spirit and the spirit poured out. Let me, let me tell you. Will the Spirit do signs and wonders? Absolutely. Has he in our congregation? Absolutely. I'm like, like super charismatic when it comes to that. But when it ultimately is it submission to God's word. Um, 
the, the clearest sign that we see here is it says that they gave these people favor with those who were outside. Those mean those who were not Christian. That, not that they didn't want to persecute them. They actually liked them. Man, that's, we say that all the time. We want to be that type of church that in our communities, people go, you know what? I may not believe what they believe yet, but gosh, I'm glad they're here. They love me. They love the city. They love the community. They, they, lo- they love people. And then lastly, they added, they, their number was added to them day by day. Those were being saved. That's what we want, guys. As we continue to grow as a church, we want to see us in this room who are Christians grow as Christians. You in this room who are not yet Christians become Christians. Those of our families and friends and our communities and our networks that will grow to know Jesus. Like we want to grow as a church. Our roots grow deep. We've said that. And, and not necessarily um, numbers, but our roots grow deep. And if we do grow numerically, we want to grow with new Christians, right? Like we, we've seen some growth with commuting, meaning we just left one church and came to another. We want to see conversions. Like I'm not a Christian, but because of the life of these people and the work of God, now I'm a Christian. They relied on God's word. They relied on his people. And they relied on his Holy Spirit. And we, would, we just want to see that. We do. Amen? I want, I want you guys to close your Bibles. We close it. Um, we have, uh, this is coming to the very end of our series. In the very end. Next week we'll finish the series and we'll be sent. And it's Commission Sunday. And we're going to have our one-time gathering of uh, um, offering of $100,000. And then the rest of the $900,000 over the next three years. Uh, if you have these cards in front of you, you want to pick it up. I want to acknowledge if you're here and you would, you're just a visitor, um, you could just listen in on this. And if you're not a Christian one, um, continue to be a part of what we're doing and, uh, and just talk to us. But this doesn't pertain to you. You don't have to give. Um, but for the rest of us, this is our church. We've been walking through this and talking about this million dollars we're raising, uh, which the majority of it is for our complete ownership for this, this campus that we believe that God will use as a means for us to do ministry uh, for several years to come. And $300,000 of that going towards uh, a renovation of the children's ministry. And, um, and next week, we will start that again by having that one-time $100,000 offering and the rest of the $900,000 to come. Um, what I wanted to do now is, um, is share Holly and I's story in this process. And because I know that I've seen ministers get up and, and say things, and I would wish they were a little bit more transparent. Um, and one of the things we say is we don't ever do—we never call you guys to do things that we don't do. So if we say you need to be in relationships with others, we're in relationship with others. If we say, hey, we want you guys to stretch, and we feel like God's calling us to stretch financially above and beyond our normal giving, then we're going to do the same. Uh, and, and primarily to share with you our story, um, not by any means to brag, but just to say, hey, this is how we did it. God's called me to lead this church, and so I'm going to lead out loud. Um, so when it came to it, I, I said before that I did a capital campaign years ago. Let me just tell you, massively easier when I was single. So the 80% of you guys who are single, you, you guys got it, all right? Um, and part of it is me and my wife get to things money-wise differently. And so there was a frustration. Some of you guys are nodding your head because you know, like, yeah, yeah, we, we were going through that. And, and, um, and we, I came to a number, and my wife looked at the number and said no. Then she came to a number, then I said no. And then we said, okay, let's just do the process of what we have. And we start looking at stuff. We start looking at stuff that we were supporting outside of Redemption Church and, and saying, okay, we're going to stop supporting this ministry in order to have money here. We start looking at things we, were, we, we had. And so I decided to sell my car and, and don't think this is like, you know, I had a 1997 Accord that was on its last leg. Like, but, and we lived two miles away from here. So I was like, I can ride my bike. We can have one car. And so we were able to do that and uh, got rid of my, or getting rid of my Spotify uh, account, uh, which if you don't know what Spotify is, uh, you know, don't worry about it, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> 
I'm gonna miss it. <laughs> so, uh, and, and we're just looking at these things. And, and probably one that hit my pride more than anything was I, we wanted to, as a family, and we've never talked about this out loud, but we wanted to every single year to increase the percentage of what we were giving to our local congregation and outside of our church. And this is the first year we're saying because of the caffeine, we're gonna, we're gonna hold for a year. Um, and why we can give more for the, the one-time giving in the three years. And that was hard, pride for me. And I realized how much God worked in it. And, and through the whole process, um, me and my wife learned this. This revealed stuff in our marriage, like good stuff, like stuff that, that we just didn't know. It drew us closer together because it's amazing how much money just sticks to you. And I would say I am not a, a big money guy, but I realized, yeah, I am. Like I'm into it. I have more stuff now, and I have more money now than I've ever had in my entire life. And, and yet I found myself going, no, 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 we can't get rid of that. No, 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 we can't sell that. Man, do you know who gave that to me? Right? It's just all of these little things um, that I realized, Lord, you're, you're my provider. And Holly Rose, you're my provider. And so we came down to a number, and we wrote it down, and we were excited about it. We were able to pray about it. We tried to teach it to our kids, but they're four and two, and they're, they're, they don't. Well, they don't understand, right? And so, um, and, and it was an exciting process, but a hard process. And I share that with you to say, continue the process. It's totally worth it. It is totally worth it um, because we're trying to ask God to do exceedingly more uh, than we can think or imagine. And we're asking him to u- do it, particularly in this area, in our money and, uh, and how we could be generous. And so when it comes to the exercise that we use, and I want you guys to go through it, it's three things. One is start by asking yourself the question, what can I give without even asking God? Like, without even, like, praying, without just, I know I can give this much. One time, above and beyond my giving, my normal giving, and then a pledge for three years, I can give this. And then go to number two and just say, no, 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 you know what? What can I do with a little bit of God's provision and grace? Like, how can I stretch myself just a bit? And then we get to that, we got to that number. And this was the one where it really got hard. Okay, what can we do? that we can look at and say only by God's provision and only by God's grace that we can still feed our family. Um, our kids are going to go to school this year and a school that we're going to pay for. But what are, the, what are the things of excess that we have that we can move some things around that we would really be stretched? And, and maybe we're going to go down a little bit on the grocery bill and maybe down a little bit on how many times we eat out. Or what, what, are, what is that number? And that's the number, that third number, whatever it is for you. Remember, not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. Whatever that is, and say, Lord, only by your grace and only by your provision for these next three years, Lord, I, I'm going to commit to these things. And that's where we want you to get. Um, and again, the, the purpose of it is that we would see God move in ways that we're responsibility for one another and just ask God to, to move in ways. And so again, um, to wrap it all up, we want all of you that are part of this church, 6.30 p.m. on Thursday. Hey, you know what? We're, 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 we're going to fast and we're going to pray. And maybe you get together with people in your community and say, hey, let's go somewhere else and pray. Or maybe you have people at your house and we're just going to pray. Um, and then on 6.30 the next day, March 1st, we're coming here together and we'll pray collectively. David will lead us through some songs. And then we can all scatter and go get food together and just wreck whatever restaurant there is around here. And then, and then come in on a Sunday, next Sunday, and then celebrate together. Um, we want every service next Sunday to just be a celebration. We're going to give to the Lord. We're going to sing. I'm going to teach a lot shorter than I've ever taught. Now that I've just said that, it's probably going to be the longest sermon I've ever taught. Um, and we're going to have fun. Amen? Let's pray. God, we are your people, and, and, and because we are your people, Lord, we are thankful and that we can call you God, and that we can know you by name, and that you've given us your spirit. You've given us your word that we may know you, that you reveal yourself to us primarily through your word. 
and we can live out your word in every context of life, being shaped by, being formed by, being encouraged and corrected and being loved by the men and women in this room, the men and the women who came last service and will come in the next two services. The, the, the body here, Father, we pray as we, as we are growing numerically, Father, that we would keep a rich sense of just togetherness. And God, that you would stop it, Lord, if the growth is not healthy and it's not in you. If we ever, Lord, get, get out of your ways, Lord, would you correct the leaders here? And God, I pray that you continue to draw upon yourself men and women, Lord, to know you for the first time. And also men and women that are already in you, Lord, to grow and disciple more men and women that we may be your people in this city. God, create in us a deep abiding sense of love for you and for one another. God, we thank you for the spirit. We pray that Christ would lead us. We ask that you would guide us. And we ask that your ways, Lord, would be true to us and we would see that Jesus is the good life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to give you guys a a second just to think about um, what does it mean to rely on God um, and his word and his people and his spirit and whatever it is that God is teaching you. And just uh, sit still and trust that the spirit is moving and the spirit is working in in your life. And um, and then just a moment, Jim will come and lead us in a time of response.